right. Let's get in here. All right, guys, ladies and gentlemen, today on the Ted Jones World Podcast, we have an amazing British comedian coming to the couch. My favorite British comedian, Drew Dunn. Thank you so much, mate. It's great to be here. And honestly, I mean, you've made New York a new home for me. So I appreciate that. You've really... Welcome to me. You're like full greened out today. I love it, dude. (laughs) Yeah, I'm feeling green. What's up? Blue Jays fan? Uh, No, I I just came. I was in Edmonton a few weeks ago, and I was trying to get a hat where I go. But uh, I did actually play. I was a bullpen catcher for the Blue Jays double-A team when I was in, like, high school. I would go up there and, like, bullpen catch for their double-A team, which was the Fisher catch, which was green. And it was so it does have some value. I, I love I that. Like Dude, looked, some yeah. history too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bro, so I made the decision when I was like twelve years old between tennis and baseball. Okay. I was like MVP in my little league here in New York City. Yeah, Peter yeah. Stuyvesant Little League. Okay. And it was just like the coaches in baseball and the coaches in tennis were like, now's the time where you really have to pick a sport. Totally. And tennis and baseball, both in like springtime sports. Yeah, right. It wasn't right. like a football and baseball where you it could can't be like do winter both. and spring. Yeah. yeah. So I ultimately decided to play tennis. I ended up playing tennis at UConn. But oh, nice. I took, I took um, like tennis super seriously. And at the time, I never really took baseball that seriously. I was yeah. like a pitcher sure. and a shortstop. But I do look back on it and be like, oh, man, like maybe I could have been. What maybe could've it could have been? been one of those guys. Ted Jones could be on like, the mound tonight. Like doing really? one of those freaking, uh, like making it to double A is a huge accomplishment. Did you get paid to do that job? No, it was, I mean, I got like tipped out by the team. I wasn't like drafted or anything like that. I, I ended up, I couldn't get paid through the organization because then you lose your NCAA uh, eligibility, so I wouldn't have been able to play in college. And where'd you I play? I played at Southern New Hampshire University, which is a, a D two school. Fun. I ended up getting hurt and falling out, and started doing comedy shortly after. So <laughs> what position did you play? I was a catcher for most of it. Then my last couple of years, I switched to being a pitcher, uh, just Damn. because I could throw really hard, but I knew I couldn't hit well enough to like make it to the big leagues. So started pitching. Hurt my shoulder, and then uh, kind of had to just make that choice. Like senior year, do I redshirt for a year and do another year of college to get a degree I already know I don't want to use, uh, or just suck it up, quit, and find some other stupid How fast dream were you to throw pursue? Fastest I ever saw in a gum was I think ninety three, ninety four, holy something like Jesus, that, which is bro. fast, but for a right handed pitcher is not. Well, I mean, I, but fifteen years ago, I feel like that would have been like top tier, right? Well, like I know, I mean, Maddox days. I mean, there were still guys like. Oh, thank you. I mean, there were still guys throwing, like, faster than that on my team even. So, I mean, I had, like the, – the good thing is, is I had the in with the organ, the Blue Jays organization. So, I had some people looking at me, but it was never going to be for hitting. I could just never figure it out, dude. I'd go in early to practice every day. I'd try and just, just make it work, and it I just couldn't do it. So, I was like, I can throw hard. Let's just see it. Well, what do you think it was maybe? Uh, I, I mean, hitting is the hardest thing to do in any sport. I think, uh, statistically, and if you've ever tried to do it, it's just it's just wild. I mean, I was a really good catcher, so I was really good at like trying to figure out what the pitcher would hit, but there was just a disconnect. I think I just developed so many bad habits when I was a kid that I was, no matter how much I would try and break them, I would just fall into like having slow hands and dipping my shoulder and not being able not to Not using hit. like enough hip initially. Yeah, or not, not throwing my, my hands at it first. Like I, I had really slow hands, which is you're not going to be able to hit anything over 90 miles an hour consistently uh, if you don't have really fast hands through the strike zone. Why'd so. you have this connection with the Blue Jays though? Um, so I my I played a, on a travel team when I was like 15 um, and his, my coach's son was, uh, he, he was on the Red Sox 40-man roster for a while. So he, he ended up getting arm fatigue so was, he just wasn't throwing as hard. So he took some time off 
ended up getting dropped from the Red Sox organization. And then he was trying to like try out for all these other teams again. He was getting back in shape, that kind of stuff. So I went and just caught him like trying out for the Blue Jays team at this facility in New Hampshire. Um, and they're like, yeah, we don't want the pitcher, but why don't you come and like catch catch for free? We only have one catcher on the roster, whatever. So, um, yeah, so that that really worked out. That was that was a great experience. I got that like kind of brush of what it's like. I mean, I, I'm in the locker room. I'm hanging out with the guys. I'm doing the whole thing. So even though I didn't make it to the big leagues, I still got at least a little bit of that. You like, got a little hint of it. Yeah, yeah man, yeah. that's like the same kind of thing. When I was like 14 and 15 years old, I was a hitting partner for some of the pros at the U.S. Open. Oh, dope. Like, uh, Megan Shaughnessy like stayed at my house. She was like a professional oh, wow. tennis player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like uh, for her staying at my house, I got to play with her for like 20 minutes. Here oh, and that's there. great. Dude, Dude, it's crazy how in baseball, though, you really don't see that many injuries unless you're a pitcher, right? Yeah, pitchers are, are, I mean, it's not a contact sport. That's obviously why, like, football gets a ton of injuries. And they've been really rounding the edges out. Like, you can't hit the catcher at the plate anymore. That's where you get another, like, slew of injuries. Oh, you mean, like, coming into home plate? Yeah, you can't, like, you can, you're not allowed to do that anymore. Actually, one of the guys I trained with, um, he, was the, he was the catcher at the time for the Fisher cats when I was there, he was like one of the guys that like made it. So that rule became a thing because he was in like triple a and he got absolutely fucking like blindsided <laughs> railroaded. Brian Geraldman is his name. He's, he was a great, great player. I, I think he's a coach now. Um, but there's this video of him just getting absolutely like fucking CTE blown now, away. Like yeah. I mean, he just got, situation. he just got totally messed up. And I think that made him like, that was a, a, one of the major cases where they're like, Hey, we shouldn't be able to do this. These are, these are like 35 year old grown men at the peak of their physical condition and only one of them has pads on (laughs) and one of them's not looking it's like the worst hit in football happening exclusively in baseball but um yeah the only other time you really see injuries is people sliding weird or running into like the wall outfielders and shit like that when he popped out his shoulder yeah exactly exactly it's those kind of like fast quick hit kind of movements because that's the thing is you do nothing and then do everything all at once yeah man it's also there it looks like they're trying to change a good amount of the rules though in baseball i see like they're putting the pitch clock in so it like yeah. ends 30 minutes faster are you for these rules or what do you think about them well i think uh they're trying to do it just to make the game more interesting so that they can get this this zoomer generation of people to be interested in baseball because i'd imagine baseball is probably at record low maybe not attendance numbers but definitely like viewing numbers i'd imagine sure well even like an attendance game you watch sometimes and you'll be like well like there's five thousand people at this oh, yeah. athletics game totally something like that yeah i mean there's some teams that'll sell out every week no matter matter what um, but then there's other teams that like yeah they just don't care unless their teams in the playoffs and then all of a sudden everyone's a fan and buys the t-shirts and the hats and shit like that um but yeah i mean as far as like speeding the game up i do think that baseball needs to modernize baseball really is like the old white guy at the table where they're like i got it i do it my way don't try and change me it's yeah. fine everybody likes me when everyone's really like geez this guy's kind of boring you know uh that so cha- like changing <clears throat> with the times needs to, yeah i mean so. i don't know what the solution to that is i don't think timing everybody running to their positions and timing in between pitchers is necessarily the answer to that i think honestly they need to almost do what hockey did which is like revamp a lot of the rules where like Hockey, when they went on strike, they came back and like made it more advantageous for goal scoring to happen to make the game more interesting. They made the goalies' pads a little bit smaller, you know, they like increased the size of the offensive zone, things like that. Um, so baseball needs to do something like that. They're trying to do things with like making it so you can't shift the players around, but I also I saw that. I don't think that's the solution to the problem either. I, I don't know what it is, but they're gonna they need to figure it out because if not, yeah. it, it's 
Nobody cares. Well, if you see, like with basketball, they're trying to, I think, make things kind of quicker. Like when you think when you think of baseball, yeah. I mean, it does really take a long time. Totally. And then you see guys like oh, new owners, Steve Cohen, putting a lot of money into the game. So yeah, we'll see yeah, what yeah. happens if more owners take it like a basketball approach, like bring in uh, the talent that brings in you know all the crowd. And stuff. Yeah, because that's the thing is like if you don't have that interest from like the youth level of a sport, the game's going to eventually die. Like in the in the town I grew up in, there used to be like five different little league teams. I mean, it's like seven different like leagues of teams that were all in the same town. You'd have the Northwest league that had a bunch of teams and then a Cal Ripken league that was totally different. And then now there's just one. So it's like, even like at that young kid level, I just think there's more interest for kids. Kids would rather go try and be fucking professional streamers or football players or anything but baseball. Where I mean, when I was a kid, it was everybody played baseball. You, play, you, you, played. you play in the Little League World Series? No, I never. I was never on a good enough team. And to, where'd you to, grow to up, that. by the way? I grew up around Boston, New Hampshire area. And then I actually, for like kindergarten through sixth grade, I was out north of Seattle. Um, so my dad worked for Microsoft and it just kind of dragged us all out there. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, yeah, basically just kind of lived in the Northeast, the Northwest, and I moved back to the Boston area, New Hampshire, in uh, uh, 2004. And did you go to college in uh, Southern New Hampshire, Southern New Hampshire. as you say? Yeah, you ever yeah, meet yeah. Bill Gates? No, I never met Bill Gates. Yeah, no. I mean, I, I think my dad has. He's probably been, because he was there pretty early on in Microsoft, so... Um, I think there was like meetings and shit where like they'd have those big meetings and Bill Gates would actually still be at them. You know, he had yeah. <laughs> Steve Ballmer is a nut. Speaking of like owners who have put a ton of money into the um, in their teams, like the L.A. Clippers. Yeah. Owner. Yeah. He's yeah. just put like he's put together an insane roster. I don't know how they're doing this year. I mean, it's just the beginning of the season. But sure. I mean, putting all this money into sports teams, it's only getting better. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I just think uh, why not, dude? If, if I was a billionaire, I would probably go try and own a sports team and Definitely. just jack them up, get them some nice. Everything's got to be nice. Like, why not? What else are you going to do when you yeah. have that much money? Cuban was talking about Mark Cuban, by the, oh, <laughs> who owns uh, Dallas Mavericks, was talking about how he is just like a, a pawn piece in the whole scheme of like the Dallas Mavericks organization. Cause yeah. it's not like any other companies where Google has a great quarter. All the people who invest in Google aren't going out in the streets and being like, woo, like, yeah, yeah Google, right, you know, like right, where right. It, if the Mavericks make the playoffs and then, you know, win the championship, everybody's freaking out. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. And, and that's all people care about it. Like I said, there's those sports teams that have 5,000 people show up to every game. And all of a sudden they're in the playoffs and now yeah, they've yeah, always yeah, been exactly. a big fan. They just like never five. had time. Times these yeah, times. exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, that's just part of the deal with, with anything. People want what's hot. You know, yeah, it's man. true in comedy, too. Well, did you start comedy in Boston? Yeah, yeah. So I started, I mean, I was living in New Hampshire at the time, but Boston was like the real scene. But I always tried to attack New England as a whole when I was doing it. So like I would, even when I was just doing open mics, I would do open mics in Maine and New Hampshire and Rhode Island and Connecticut. So I would just be driving all over the place just to meet as many people as I could try and get in at all these places. And then it worked out where like, as I was progressing, I was then progressing in all of these different places. So I was able to kind of get a lot of work to the point where I was able to quit my day job when I was like four years into stand up just by doing like local feature work around new England and shit like that. And just give me time to pursue other things, learn how to do animation, you know, learn how to do video editing, all those kind of skills that now are like essential. If you even want to be just a stand up comic, unless you want to, you know, pay an editor a bunch every fucking week, which I can't afford. And know? then I see also you're, are you still doing those dates? Like when you're touring in Rhode Island and <clears> I see you're going up to New Hampshire and stuff like that, are those the same clubs that you've been going to for a while? Yeah. Or they're, you know, one thing led to the other thing, you know, it's like I, I did five shows with this guy who then I got introduced to this person who then meets, introduced me to 
this booker kind of thing. So, um, yeah, now when I go back, I do uh, you know a lot of small theater gigs. I'll do like the clubs and stuff like that, like um, Off Cabot or Laugh Boston, things like that. And then, um, yeah, and then the good thing is, is if I'm ever up there for like a wedding or something dumb, I could, there's always somebody I can hit up somewhere that, to at least get a spot or get on stage in, in some capacity, which is nice. It's a good thing to have. To so you like on. growing up in Boston? or How close are you to Boston? I mean, I was born in Jamaica Plain, so I was in like... Um, you know, just outside of Boston, but it was really like it's it's Boston. That's that's more Boston than like Boston proper, they, like Jamaica Plain, Everett. I mean, they fucking you know they talk like this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not you everybody. Didn't, you didn't pick it up because you went there when you were like six or seven. Well, yeah, that's what it is. It's well, that is like I mean, you live everywhere else, and like I think what really like indicates an accent is like if everyone in your family talks like that. Oh. Like if you have aunts and uncles that are fucking talking like this, you're more likely to pick up a fucking thing or two. You Dude, know what that's I'm saying? Straight out of Family Guy. Oh yeah, I mean, well you know. It's a family guy straight out of fucking Rhode Island, which is really straight out of fucking Boston, because that's where they are. Do you have there. any siblings though, that picked up the accent because they moved here before they were six years old? Like no, you? no, not really, because I mean, I think too, like there's way less people with accents in general when it comes to those regional accents. I think as as we get older, because so many people are getting raised by watching watching TV oh, and shit, YouTube videos right. and stuff. Like so you're TikToks, you're hearing all that. Yeah, accents. you don't you don't just hear your parents oh. telling you about the world or your teacher who has a southern accent or whatever it might be. Um, I think less people. People probably statistically have their like regional accents now, not just because of moving around that's and fucked, stuff. But dude, yeah, that's kind of crazy. Eventually, we'll all just sound like. the same. Ted Jones. We'll <laughs> yeah, sound dude. just like this. And we're all just AI robots. Hello. And, then, <laughs> and that's like also picking like sports too. Now I'm big U.S. Open fan. Yeah, they don't have line judges standing in the court going out oh, anymore. Somebody just voiced over out, oh, and then every time the ball's out now, I guess somebody just presses somebody the like a going, DJ. Oh. They just hired a DJ to do yeah, it instead. DJ. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> Man, AI is taking over everything. Yeah. I mean, we'll see uh, people hologramming in, I think, to comedy shows. Yeah, so, I saw that. They did that at JFL this year. They yeah, had oh, Andy well, Kindler in like a box. I saw Keenan Thompson doing it the yeah, other day well, or something. But what were you talking about? Talk about JFL. Well, well so yeah, it was it was like the, he does like a state of the industry every Who's year. Who? Uh, Andy Kindler. Um, so he, he does, he's done it forever. And he just comes in and just basically shits on everybody and then walks, walks out. Uh, but this time he was in like that virtual reality like box that you've probably seen and well, like, how big was the box it was six you know six and a half feet something like that so it was, i mean it's a big it's like a double-sized refrigerator basically and he's just standing in it you can see him perfectly from all angles it's really neat like technology but it's felt so uh such a disconnect and it really got kind of tired after a while where well, I don't, how did it look though did they like wheel on the monitor onto the I, stage it was already there by the time everybody got there and then someone came out and like introduced him and um and then he just walks he didn't walk out he just appeared and then i mean most of his bits were about ah, i'm not really here i'm a hologram blah 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 which again is funny for a minute but it does kind of get tired and i think that'll be the same thing when you have comics that are like doing that from the metaverse and stuff i think instead of it people coming into real life from the metaverse the future of that world is us going into virtual reality and doing shows for people that are in virtual reality i mean like the, us putting on our headsets too yeah exactly and and looking like whatever avatar you want to and standing on a stage and doing comedy in that space rather than bringing them into this space because people aren't going to take cartoons and animations like that stuff seriously i don't think when they could just see dave Chappelle on that same stage later that year but if you're a kid who's never been to a comedy show before you can't even go to a comedy show you're 16 you can't you can't get in unless your mom takes you or you live in some place of the world that there is no comedy and all of a sudden the best comic in the world or at least in your eyes can just appear 
to you in the place that you normally just hang out with your friends in the metaverse or whatever these things. Cause I think virtual reality is one of those things that like my generation won't really take to it until it's forced upon them or it's really easy access where it's contacts or glasses or something. But the younger generation is already eating that shit up like crazy, man. I mean, if you go look at go, just go look on any virtual reality game, just go look up like a clip of people playing that game. It's always little kids. So th that space is dominated by the younger generation. So if you want to reach the younger generation, you got to go to where they are. That's why we're on TikTok. That's why we're on all these things. Like you want to go get in front of that virtual reality audience. You're not going to get people from the laugh factory to show up to the metaverse because a metaverse guy looks funny on the stage, but you are going to get those kids to see you right there because you're right present in their face. Then they might come and see you in real life. Eventually, if you happen to come to their town. So I think that's like, if you're focusing, if you're a comic trying to get into that next space, I think you've got to go in, in VR and it's still super early now. You're not going to get a big benefit from it, but it's another place for people to see you, reach you and think you're funny, which is all we're trying to do. Have you done one of those shows yet in the metaverse? I did one. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't like in a proper club or anything. It was really just the problem with that stuff is it's very chaotic. So in real life, you feel like you have to follow social rules and norms and stuff like that. Where there people can just log in, say crazy stuff, and then disappear. There's no security guard to throw them out. There's no embarrassment or anything like that. But I know Keenan Thompson is sponsoring this club, or he's working with this club called uh, Failed to Render Comedy Club. Um, I've, I've started to look into them and stuff. It's something that I would definitely be interested in doing as far as like just experimenting in that world. Especially, yeah. I mean, you can change the way you look. You can be a totally different... You could go up there as a character and totally be in that character and not even... I could truly go up and be a British comic for 15 minutes and never have anybody question it. You know what I mean? So there's way more possibilities and creativity in that stuff. Um, but I think both are still going to exist forever. Even if we be if comedy becomes big in the metaverse where people are going to see live shows in the metaverse consistently, people are still going to be coming to see live shows in real life as well. So, I mean, did you see that thing where there was like a, an AI rapper that got signed for like a multi-million dollar deal? It fell out, but this guy is like... I think it's written, the songs are written by a white guy, performed like spoken uh, in a black voice that's generated by AI or something like that. Um, and the guy signed like a crazy multi-million dollar deal. And then everybody was, every rapper was like, what the fuck? This is stupid. Why aren't I getting, and then they, they dropped it just because there was so much like upheaval. But that shows, I mean. AI is taking over actual humans' jobs. Yes, exactly. And that's in a situation you never even think about it. That's not replacing a cashier at the grocery totally. store. That's like full taking somebody's talent. Replacing art. Replacing yeah. it, yeah. Which is crazy. I think there will be fun in that. But I think at the end of the day, I've talked about this with some other comics, but like the, I think the the baseline of it is, is like the, the flaws are what makes things good. You know, if you have like this masterful, perfect movie, um, that's written by an AI and, and rendered by an AI and every, every actor in it is an AI voice. That's never a real person. Um, I, I, I think those will be fun to experience, but I think that eventually people will grow tired of them because they'll become either predictable or they'll become, uh, just kind of mundane where the human experience and, and, and really feeling that connection to the creator is half the reason people consume content in the first place these days. It's not that like, wow, that was the best thing ever. You could go make the best thing ever. And if people aren't looking your way, they might not even see it or recognize it as the best thing ever. But if you're making the statistically the best thing ever, people will want to watch it. But if 
you don't have to make the best stuff if people are already looking your way. You just got to provide them with something that's true to you if people are interested in what you're making. That's the same thing with filmmakers. Same thing people want to watch a Scorsese film or or something like that is because they know what to expect. So I think you might lose that when you have like AI generating entire movies, which is going to happen. Because here's the thing, like if you can go on multiple websites now and just type in any words and an AI, uh, AI will generate an image of that thing. Have you seen any of this stuff? Well, how do you mean? So, like, I forget the fucking name of it, but there's a bunch of them where you go in, and it's like a Google search bar. You'll just type in, like, uh, a purple apple sitting on a glass coffee table. Oh, and it'll make a and it'll, painting it'll of it. Make it. It'll make it. It'll make it look, sometimes it'll look real, sometimes it'll look like a painting. It'll do it in, like, different styles, oh. and then it'll give you, like, options of that stuff. So, for me, I'm like, man, if they're making images, how long until they're making full movies? That's how we started as humans. We made images first, and then we figured out that if you put all those images together, then it makes a movie. Um, so it's only a matter of time before an AI is rendering those images so quickly and so like exquisitely that it's, you're going to be able to make a movie out of it, um, which I'll watch the movie, mm-hmm. but I don't know if I'll watch, if that'll be like, what I look forward to. Cause that I, be too perfect. I, I think the human connection is more important than that. Like, like I was saying, I think like knowing that this came from Ted Jones, that that's people like that. People like watching a Leonardo DiCaprio movie cause it's Leonardo DiCaprio, not because necessarily it's a perfect movie. You know, I think it's both of those things. I think that, you know, now that YouTube has been around for, I don't know what, 15 years, something like that still yeah. kind of in its baby stages. It just feels like when you think about creators, you think about people on YouTube can do kind of whatever they want. They totally. have like full control over their audience and people who are like the younger generation who are watching vlogs and stuff. It seems like they connect to the vloggers who will have that funny thing that maybe wouldn't be in a Hollywood picture movie because it shows them being too personal or being oh, too yeah. raw. Like I watched a Mr. Beast video the other day, the other day and how many, you know, cuts and how everything is perfect. Totally. But then in one shot, like the audio guy came running in and he wasn't supposed to be in the shot. And Mr. Beast was like, Oh, is that a contestant? No, that's just the audio guy, Rick. Yeah. yeah something yeah. like that. Like these little things that personalize the, uh, the audience experience. Yeah, totally. And that's, and that makes it fun for the, um, for the viewer because they feel like they're getting that backstage behind the scenes look, which is why podcasting is so big, which is why all this stuff is so big. People just want to feel like that they're in the room. Exclusive access, which brings you to like the NFTs, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. being a part of that group and then having to like, people will remember that you were part of that group because you have this specific thing from that 10 years ago show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then just like, you have the real thing. You're, you, you're the only one who has the real thing. It is all just that exclusivity type stuff. How do you yeah. feel about YouTube though? Think about that. Cause I know you um, have a bunch of stuff on there that, that has done very well. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a mixed bag with all social media right now because, a lot of the social media they want to put you in a box I think and YouTube included where they want you to be a stand-up comedian or a podcaster yeah they want you to yeah they just want to put you into a a bucket of this is the content you make and don't go outside of this world or you're not going to get any views I feel like like that sometimes too. It's totally scary as that is also to say on the waves that like we are putting out this podcast and shit. Like we are reliant on whatever form of podcast you guys are listening to. If this is Amazon, if this is Spotify, Apple podcast, you're watching on YouTube, whatever. I mean, we're at the mercy of who puts it forward. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which is like people like, Oh, there's no gatekeepers now. It's like, no, there is (laughs) definitely still gatekeepers. You still have to figure out how to bust through, uh, and make them show you to to a bunch of strangers. That's that's tricky. Um, 
But yeah, I think. Um, but talk about that, the niche. Well, I, th- I think it's important now to lean into that because, and, and the most important thing is to make sure that your niche is what you want to be known for. So many people now get famous for the one quick thing, uh, whether they're making fucking SpaghettiOs with their shirt off or talking to their grandma or whatever it is. They go famous for this one thing, but it's like, is that what you want to be forever? Can you build a career off of that and, and do that? And some people don't want that. Some people just want to go viral and get the thrill and the adrenaline rush that you get of going viral and put out that content and share it with people. But for me as a stand-up comic, that's my goal is to be known to this world as a funny stand-up comedian. Because when the world knows you as a funny stand-up comedian, they want to listen to your podcast. They want to watch the TV show you come up with. They've, they've known that for their whole lives, people that comics make funny other things from movies to shows to all that stuff where if you get famous for uh being on a tv show and then you want to do stand-up comedy that can work but it's not going to be as easy of a transition i think you know like you'll get that temporary boost where people are buying your tickets for that year because they know you from that show but then the show ends it goes away and they're not that emotionally invested in in what you're doing so um it's a balancing act, man, because I've made mistakes with the algorithm where I'll, I'll have a video go viral that's like a stand-up clip, and then I'm like, oh, cool, now that people are looking my way, how about check out this animation, check out this podcast clip, check out this other thing, and you just see those views go away, and then the next stand-up clip you post is like way less than even what you were getting before, and you're like, man, is this... Is, is show, so I should just post yeah, stand up then? You is it fr- is it frustrating to po- like? Do I have to just post stand up then, or is it like? But but then you look at like the like ratios that the other stuff is getting, and it's similar to the stand up clips. They're just not getting continually pushed out, um, which is frustrating. But it's also like. I don't like getting hung up on those views anyway. I like just making what I want and putting it out there regardless and just move on to the next one. Close your eyes, put your, put just make sure whatever I put out is good quality. I, it was good effort. Cause that's the thing is quality over quantity for me, man. Like, cause the number of people that like, if I'm headlining a club on the road, people might not know me. They see me on the website. They Google me. Then they see clips that, and, and any one of those clips I'd be proud for them to click on. There's not one clip that I'd be like, Oh, that, that one wouldn't sell a ticket. Cause it's like, if they find that, watch it, then they go, okay, I'll go see them. Then that's that's how you make fans. It's like if they go on there and, and then watch the next one and it's shit, they won't come to see a show. They won't follow. They won't do all that stuff. So yeah. I'm like, yeah, everything I have to put out has to be to a certain standard. And I don't care if that makes it so I post once a week, twice a week, instead of three times a day, five times a day. I think it's, uh, I think you got to do both things. You yeah. Know? And I think it's, like you said, it's tough to find a balance, but you listen to guys like Gary Vee who talk about posting four times a day, getting your name out there and, or just journaling in your yeah. social experiment. So it's like, I, I don't know if there's going to be some app that brings them all together, but I think eventually you start to see everything in kind of one and you'll be like, oh, this is Drew Dunn. This is everything that he's ever done on this one platform. Yeah, totally. Well, I stopped trying to like convert people from one platform to the other. That's also because, a very difficult thing to do. Because there's no reason to, because they're gonna, there's enough people on both of those platforms. So instead of like being like, hey, Instagram people, go to my YouTube and well, watch that, it. Well, let me ask you this though. If you were being paid uh, significantly more on a YouTube, wouldn't you want to kind of transfer your Instagram people to your YouTube? You would, but it's, I don't think that it works like that. I think that like, you'll get that small percentage of people that will convert, especially now with things like Linktree, you'll get those people to move over. But for the most part, where people see you, that's where they find you. That's where they'll see you again. That's, that's where that person tends to spend more of their time watching that type of content is on that social media. How often are people going from Instagram watching stand up to then going to YouTube watching stand up, then going to watch, it's like, no, they 
don't. They watch everything behavior. everywhere all at once. And usually they're just scrolling through TikTok or they're just scrolling through YouTube and that's where they'll go and find you again. Uh, and that doesn't mean you shouldn't be present everywhere. But you, for me to go like, hey, everyone, go to my YouTube, go to my YouTube, go to my YouTube, go to my YouTube. It's, it's tiring. <laughs> it's like, what's the fucking point? I'll just keep posting on YouTube and get people there. And then when I have like a special that comes out, that's when I like... And like, hey, this is where you can get this. This is exclusively where you can get this. That's the time to like push people to that. Because for me, I'll edit one video and upload it to all seven fucking apps that you have to upload it to now. There's no reason for them to go to from my Instagram to go watch the same video on the YouTube short. But when there's a reason to, that's when I think I'll start pushing to be like, hey, this is the only place you can find this. If you want a special, this is where you go. And then everything else is clips. Speaking of your next, I guess, hour, you're going to be releasing it on YouTube? Um, so I have a dry bar special coming out. Um, Great. In uh, I recorded it last year, so I'm still waiting on a date for that, um, which is they're just crazy backed up. With, it's a little frustrating. Um, but nonetheless, hopefully before the end of the year, that'll be out. That's like a 30-minute special. Where'd you shoot that? Uh, in Utah. So they have their own place um, in Provo, Utah, which is in like middle of Mormon country. Mormon, I was just going to yeah, say, yeah, yeah, a bunch yeah. of Mormons out there. Yeah, so I mean, it's a clean comedy uh, special. That's what wow. they do is they produce clean comedy Dope. specials. So um, I'm not necessarily a clean comic. So my plan is I have that stuff already in the can recorded. I recorded my set in Phoenix as well with similar material. Okay. A longer set, obviously, because I was doing an hour. Um, and I'm just going to release them both at the same time. So when the clean version comes out, you'll be able to go to my YouTube and watch the dirtier version if you want, or the longer version or extra takes or all of that kind of stuff. Do you personally have the footage? Yeah. Yeah. Have you already chopped it up? Uh, I'm working on that now because I'm also working on animating over the entire dry bar special as well because I taught myself how to animate over the last uh, couple of years. How does that look? What uh, what service do you use? I use... Uh, With I, Final Cut? Uh, no, I use Adobe. So I use a, uh, Adobe Premiere Pro to do my editing and then Adobe Character Animator, After Effects, all Sick, that stuff dude. to like do the actual animation. Yeah, I just taught myself on YouTube like... Out What's the it. animation going to look like? Which is the kind of whenever you're talking, kind of moving your uh, mouth? No, so I'm planning to like, I mean, a lot of my bits can kind of be sketches or have a lot of visual elements where I'm trying to like paint a picture of what I was doing or whatever it might be. Oh, so you're animating the bits, not I'm, just you on stage? It'll start me on stage and then it'll cut to like what, what I'm talking about. Nice. So if I'm going to Home Depot, you'll see me in Home Depot seeing all the things I'm describing, <laughs> and you're going through the drive through of a grocery or of, or of a fast food place, whatever, a grocery store, all that kind of stuff. Like whatever I'm talking about. I've done a couple of these before. So if you go to my YouTube or my Instagram, I have a couple where like I did it for a bit about hitting a beaver with my car or about going to Dunkin Donuts and seeing like Your this buffet elderly bit couple. the other night by the way was killing me. oh thank you man yeah that's that was brand new actually that was the first oh, time okay. I, I oh, said there you it go. yeah thank you yeah Thanks, that was man. like I forgot the way I wanted to end it but uh it was true <laughs> it was I mean I was just me. in Vegas last week and I went first day there I had I had nothing to do I had no shows I had nothing and I was <laughs> like yourself yeah I was like my wife wasn't with me none of the comics for the festival were there yet or at least none that I knew yet um, so I was like, ah, I'm just going to go walk around Vegas for a while. And I found a buffet and I was like, you know, what? I've always wanted to try a Vegas buffet and just sat down there and just ate for fucking hours, dude. Unlimited alcohol, unlimited food for like 90 bucks or something like that. Wait, I, I wasn't leaving. That sounds expensive though. Well, I mean, 90 bucks. Well, I guess for, for dinner and, and, and it's like, it was one of the nicer ones too. Like they had like everything. They had Do you have a spot that night? Uh, no, I had nothing. So I, I had absolutely nothing to do all day. Uh, I, I booked it and then got like my schedule for the festival tape. It was for Laugh After Dark. So they film sets like, like Don't Tell and stuff do. So you can get, you know, a clip through them, which is great. Um, 
And then I had like a spot later that week at Brad Garrett's comedy club. But that first day I had nothing. So I was like, ah, fuck it, dude. So I just went and got fucking hammered. I was eating food the whole fucking time. I was there for a couple hours, dude, to the point where they kept trying to clean up my table. And like I said in the bed, I was like, no, 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 no. I'm not done eating yet. <laughs> Bring it back. The, you're just watching people throw through. Why don't tables? you go get me another margarita and a fresh napkin? Okay, let's pretend this is Do round they have one. Pictures there? <laughs> oh no, they they like make them fresh at the bar. It was it was very nice. It was a really nice place. It was at the Win. Uh, oh, there you go, Steve Win. Nice work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steve Amazing Wynn. dude. <laughs> um, so I was just about to freaking ask something that I, we got lost in thought with the buffets, margarita, buffets, uh, and comedy, dude. Yeah, that's. Do you uh, have anything exciting coming up at the end of this year? Hopefully, that dry bar special. Uh, hopefully, the, the end of this year. Yeah, hopefully, the dry bar special coming out. Um, we're doing our first live. Po- I do a podcast called Character Debates, um, where we bring on comics and we all debate in character on ridiculous topics. Like uh, we've done, like you know, should weed be legal? But we'll bring in like a stoner mom versus I'll play the uh, the kid who got didn't get picked up at school because his mom you know what i mean like in debate shit like that so we'll, yosemite sam versus matthew mcconaughey on gun rights shit like that so we're doing our first live one um in san diego uh, uh this weekend actually so nice um, that's bro. exciting um i've never done we've never done it live like we were, obviously we film it and and stuff like that but to do it in front of a live audience will be uh will be a fun experience would you ever do a split tour where you could do stand up and then the podcast afterwards yeah for sure because honestly i That's mean we a great motto motto and model excuse me yeah i mean we tried we're trying to get this show made to be like a proper tv show that's our goal we went and did stand up and pitch at jfl this year went well so we have some leads on that stuff but now they want you to make everything yourself first so they're like yeah that's great you have a year of growth and you have a you know a few thousand listeners a month that's fun Go make the pilot. Like, no, we want you guys to help us make the, Like, no, no, no. You make the pilot. And then if we like it, we'll think about it. And I was like, okay. So that's where we're at now. That's every fucking trying to get anything on TV ever yeah. now is like, go make money. And then when it's making money, we'll buy it yeah. for more of your money. Then it's like, no, and then I don't need you, you fucking idiots. Yeah, well, because it seems like everybody's just trying to do as much as they can independently now. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the model because be, I think it's because of that. Because if you go do the industry route and get pitched, you, maybe you'll get lucky and get your show made. But unless you're already a super famous person, it's probably not going to happen um, because they could just go pick a famous person and have their audience immediately watch the show, guarantee yeah. that much more advertising, blah, 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 blah. Um, there's nobody making really independent comedy movies that are like big, nobody's making any comedy movies regardless of like you know the adam sandler equivalent type comedy movies when he was coming up so that has to be done independently nobody's throwing that kind of money around so did you see what matt damon said about why they kind of don't make just random movies anymore well yeah like the dvd back end the dvd ba- which makes sense i mean totally. um there's it's like everything everything everybody wants everything to be free now from your stand-up to my stand-up to the show you make to everything needs to be free the music they want every minute of music to be free uh they want movies to be for everything that makes hundreds of million dollars to cost hundred million dollars i remember make. those itunes i was spending like 14 dollars a month yeah on just to get an album songs yeah my, yeah and my parents were so pissed yeah exactly which is like like lime wire you needed to get now everything is shoved in your face for free yeah now it's like it's free and then if it makes money then it makes money it's and it's battling not, for attention Totally. And that's what it is. I mean, that's what we're all trying to do, yeah, right? That's the currency. That's what we're hoping this podcast will do is we'll capture a little piece of people's pie chart. They'll listen to the show. And that's the name of the game now is like provide a great product. So for me, that means be funny, um, be funny every time and 
and make people see that. And how do you make people see that? You got to be fucking everywhere. You got to put your face out. You got to try and grab just, even if it's a minute a day of people's times, if you can get a million people a minute of their time a day, then you just keep doing that over and over and over again and just trying to, and now we're just fucking throwing spaghetti against the wall going, you like (laughs) this? How about this? You fucking idiot. Yeah. (laughs) How did getting married change your comedy, if at all? Um, so well, I was already engaged pretty much right when I, I was, I was planning, I got engaged the same year I started doing comedy. So I was 21. Um, I got engaged like right. Actually, no, I was, yeah. I'm trying to think. Yeah, no, I started, I got engaged when I turned 21. I started comedy six months later. So I was already like planning to get married. I met my wife senior year of high school and we just kind of, it never even crossed our mind to break up. We just, everything was going great. We're everything's well you went now. To the same college. The, yeah, yeah, we went to the same college together and stuff like that. Wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude. Um, yeah, because I went. We went to like Westfield State for the first year, then transferred to Southern New Hampshire University, and then yeah, finished up online and all that kind of shit, dude. Yeah. Did you yeah. go to uh, Southern New Hampshire though to play baseball? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, I transferred there specifically because it was a better school than the one. I, I went to this first one because I got a small scholarship from them, and then um, it was like. It just wasn't the organization I thought it was going to be. The coach was just a fucking old nightmare guy just stuck in his ways. Like I said before, same kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so then we went. I went back up to Southern New Hampshire, did like a private trial with them, got on the team, and then just I was on campus f- until I got hurt, and then I switched to online and uh, finished up my degree from but there. But playing Division Two, can't you – like aren't there way less NCAA rules? As far as what? Making money. No, no. NCAA oh, really? eligibility is like if I if you lose your eligibility as a Jesus. <laughs> flying by on a motorcycle. There you go. Um, you know, if you lose your if you get paid a dollar for for playing that, you're considered a professional is that athlete. Tr- is that, I mean, I, I know that college players are starting to get paid, but what well, it's different now. That, that's why. I mean, that's they're trying to. I, they should be getting paid. By the way, Division one athletes should be getting paid. I was a Division one athlete, but yeah. tennis team we didn't make any money for the school. But sure. I, I'm the basketball team, the football team. They yeah, they're making millions of dollars. The if the coach Stop is getting it. paid a hundred million dollars or fifty million dollars, <laughs> I think you can give each kid on the fucking yes, school the thing a hundred a hundred grand. <laughs> you won't even. Feel it like what are we talking about? They have crazy money, uh, and the, yeah, they're fucking athletes, dude. They're essentially professional athletes that happen to be at a school. That's that's all it is. It's it's an insane. I, that was not my lifestyle. It was not the same as a Division one athlete. Although baseball is different from basketball than it is from football and all that kind of shit. But uh, um, yeah, man, it's. Uh, I forget your question. I forget my question too. <laughs> <laughs> but being like being around Double A, did those yeah. guys make any money? Some of them did. That's the thing. What it's kind like, of money, though? So some of them are like the the first draft pick. You know what I mean? They go right to double A. So they're they're on a big, fat rookie contract, multi-million dollars. Other guys have been in the minor league system for like five, six years. They're making, you know, seventy-five dollars to $150,000 a year. Still decent money to play baseball, but there's no longevity in it unless you make that next bump. You know what I mean? Um so, I mean, there was a couple of guys that I caught for there that ended up making it to the big leagues, both either for the Blue Jays or for, for other teams. Like this guy, Mark Zepchinski, ended up pitching and winning a World Series with the Cardinals. This other guy, Danny Farquhar, ended up going to the Royals and won a World Series with them. So it was like, it was cool to like, once I was out of it, just to watch these guys that I knew and see what happens. So a lot of them went and played like international ball. Like one guy went and like won a, won a championship with the Netherlands or something like that. Oh. Um, 
but yeah, man, that's, that's, they, they got paid enough to like, they didn't have to worry about money, but it wasn't like only a couple of them I knew has like, fuck you money. Did you ever think about maybe trying going to the next level if, or if it was the Blue Jays and actually like catching for the team? Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it was kind of a perfect storm for me to even be able to do the bullpen catching I did. So the reason it was even available for me to do that was they had two catchers on their roster. One was their main catcher and one was a guy who also would DH and it would also play outfield field sometimes so they there was nobody that could that was always ready to warm up the guy that was uh about to go in the game or Mm -hmm. like the catcher stuck on second base in between innings to go run out there and warm up the pitcher uh before the catcher gets all his gear back on and and so that was my job basically was just doing that um so to go to the next level they wouldn't have had me go up to the big leagues because there's a minor league guy that would rather be the big league bullpen catcher you know what i mean so it would have been a matter of going to college killing it in college staying healthy getting drafted and then working my way up through the system properly do you think being a catcher you had a chance of being drafted if if they have a pinch fielder yes defensively yes Uh, because i was really good defensively i was very strong at like blocking the ball working with pitchers um i could throw guys out at second base no problem i could like i said very strong arm i was throwing guys out for my knees and stuff like uh catchers are measured on what's called a pop time so that's the pop of my glove to the pop of the second baseman's glove and major league average is like a two second i was doing it in like 1.7 1.8 seconds so it was like that was my strength was doing that's funny pinch fielder that was always something i thought of growing up i was like man if there's just a pinch fielder i would be so much happier when's the last time you got down there um, like it was a yeah. So I I played in like a men's league. It must have been like a couple months ago. I think it was like May or June. Um, there's a men's league that's like 28 and over or something like that um, around New Hampshire. And one of my buddies who's a comic plays on it as well. Uh, this guy Ben Quick. Um, and uh, if they have time, they'll just ask me to come in and fucking I'll do a couple of bats, catch a cut a game for him and stuff like that. So I've done that like once a year for the last two years. Um, my first like getting back into baseball after my arm injury was like playing a co-ed softball league. Boston comedy uh, had a softball. There was five or six teams that were all comics or like comedy adjacent people. Um, and it was just fun. We'd show up on a Tuesday. Everyone would just be hitting the ball around drinking beers and shit like that. And then go to a show before or after that kind of stuff. So when did you move to New York? Uh, it was June of last year. So oh, wow. Yeah, bro. Yeah, yeah. June of 2020. I had no idea. I thought you'd been here for years. Yeah, no, no, I was planning to. I mean, I'd been coming back and forth a lot. That's the good thing about being in New England. It's three, four hour drive Ooh. if you do it at the right time. Um, so I would be coming here on Sundays, just doing any show I could open mics, fucking bring your shows, whatever I could find for a while. And then um, JFL, I did new faces in 2019 that helped me get, kind of meet more people and then just doing the road. You meet a lot more comics and after the new phases, I was planning to move here. So going into, you know, from July, 2019 through the end of the year, we're like, all right, let's try and find my wife a job out here. Cause at the time she was still working a day job. Um, let's, uh, you know, try and find an apartment. Let's try and go there as much as I can be present in the scene, all that kind of stuff. Uh, my wife, we find her a job like around February and then we're like, all right, next month let's go apartment hunting uh and then yeah then it was like ah oh, this COVID thing's a little weird let's let's wait a week we'll wait a week <laughs> and then if that works out then we'll be then we'll go and then like thank god we didn't come here and sign a lease that where we, were you during COVID? uh i was in new hampshire yeah and were you super bummed i was bummed just because i was i didn't i had so much stuff you lined up momentum. post jfl i was meeting with tv networks i was meeting with all these agents and stuff like that and almost every agent I met with got furloughed or got pushed off or got their like roster minimized. So there was no, nothing there. Um, there was, I was trying, I was going out to LA to do like this, like work on my animated show with 
this animation house and then work with them to pitch it to networks that whole that whole like system they were building they stopped doing it um so it's not like a for me it was like all right well now i need to just do stuff myself so i started making my own animations by myself i started you know doing podcasts i started just posting old stand-up clips and just trying to get as much momentum as i could uh in that side of things and it's worked out so far it's just now it's just a matter of trying to keep growing that that fucking number next to your name uh making more people see and care about you and uh uh, and and try and make a fucking career out of this thing, you know. Like, totally, uh, man. Yeah, yeah, I was um, I was taking UCB classes. You've heard of UCB, yeah, yeah. And we were supposed to have our class show that March thirteenth, and then right after that, I was going to try out for the Lloyd team, who performs once a week at that theater in Hell's Kitchen. Right. And then all of a sudden, everything just shut down. So yeah. I really needed to get more into stand up because I was doing improv a ton, like three or four years, and I wasn't doing stand up as much. Sure. And then I realized once stand up came back, like this is what. I need to be doing just because yeah. they don't even have a UCB anymore in New York. Well, and the good thing about stand up is you're not like reliant on anybody else either. You know what I mean? Like exactly. you can show up, you know, you're not worried stuff. about fucking James showing up in a pissed off mood or, or Gabby's boyfriend That's broke true, up with right? him and like, it affects the whole show. It's you showing up and putting on your show and that and the rest of it doesn't really, shouldn't really affect you, you know? Um, but yeah, man, that's, uh, but yeah, it was like all the touring stuff that was going on. Like it was like, Oh, two weeks away. I'll do this too. And I was like, nah, two more weeks. Okay. Well, at least I'll be able to do may. And, and then everything was just falling apart. So it's like, um, it was frustrating being in New Hampshire for that period of time. But, um, it was, I was grateful to be there, be with family and stuff like that. And be in a place where COVID wasn't like wreaking havoc. Like there was very few cases. It wasn't like people were still wearing masks and shit like that, but it wasn't like my aunts were getting it and dying or like it was, it was much more mild up in the Northeast. I think. Did it feel like a small town though? Not really. I mean, my town's popular. I live right on the border of New Hampshire and or I lived right on the border of New Hampshire and mass. So it was, you know, it's like 60,000 population something mm-hmm. like that so it's still like a a proper city i guess where you have the main street area but it's not it was just uh i don't know it was just a good place to be it was just a good place to be for that period of time rather than being in the middle where, like we didn't have riots anywhere we didn't have any of that stuff to worry about it was just fucking people dealing with the same shit going like this is stupid right like yeah it's fucking yeah. i hate this it's fucking it's fucking mess fucking doesn't even blows. work i don't fucking what are, you, what are we wearing this for? i'll wear it but i'm gonna fucking bitch about it you know <laughs> only in the grocery store yeah fuck them fuck yeah drew this was amazing hey, drew dude. dunn guys Great hilarious time, comic drew uh pop up your instagram vocally so we can follow you and uh yeah. Just check on the journey. Yeah, yeah. If you follow me uh, at Drew Dunn Comedy, um, Drew Dunn on YouTube, and then uh, DrewDunnComedy.com for all my tour dates. Coming to Amazing. A, coming to a city near you. Let's go. <laughs> Drew, thank you so much for coming on. Guys, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Peace.